0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability. I'm your host, the Idea Dynamo, Samantha Pierce. We're sponsored by NeuroDiversityConsulting.org and St. Check us out online to find out about all the great things we do with people with disabilities. I'm joined today by my regular co hosts, Liza Citron, Disabled Autistic Advocate and Future Special Education Teacher, Scott Davis, Disabled Entrepreneur, Speaker and Writer, Dr. Jeremy Pierce, my husband, Partner in Crime and Philosopher. We also have a special guest with us today, Alexander Citron. And yes, that name is familiar. This is Liza's father. And today we're gonna be having a conversation about fathers and fatherhood and how that relates to disability. Mm. It's been my experience uh, oftentimes that fathers being deeply involved in advocating for their children with disabilities are a bit of a rare item. It's becoming more common than, you know, 20 years ago when I first got into this, Hmm. which I think is a good thing, having dads alongside moms doing all of that work. We are, our topic today is gonna be about, you know, how fatherhood and disability intersect. Jeremy and Alex, you two are the fathers in the group today. So how has disability influenced your experience as fathers?
1: Well, now from the other side being Diagnosis being on the autism spectrum, some 13 or so years ago, uh, it adds a whole dimension, but if I can go back to, being a father of a five-year-old at her first diagnosis of Asperger's syndrome, and I just didn't know a lot about any of that. I mean, I didn't have any idea of myself. I had a couple of piano students over the years. Uh, one piano student said that it was so new that they didn't even use the initials. She said, I have attention deficit, which is the first time I had heard of that. And this was an accomplished middle-aged businesswoman. But, you know, it doesn't discriminate. So it was, but it, it has made all, all the world difference because it's my absolute priority responsibility to look after my children. And, you know, my other child is uh, was diagnosed with... Uh, that thing adhd and dealing with his issues in school and stuff so i think that was really the seed that got me into uh and then i was diagnosed and then it got me into wanting to be in the field of special education and it's made all the difference a little bit of robert frost there (laughs)
0: <laughs> now how i i too am an adult diagnosed auti- diagnosed autistic person so how did that how did your diagnosis and i think we met um not long after you were diagnosed you're yeah, absolutely
1: you know, right i i know about when how that all played out yeah
2: I think you might have met right before he was diagnosed. Actually. Yeah, there
1: was- and it was. It should have been Europe? before. Yeah, we moved to Syracuse in 2006. Okay. I found out about you guys probably in early, mid-2007, and I was diagnosed somewhere of eight. Okay,
0: yeah. Yeah, we, I think we, well, I remember meeting you for the first time, yeah. uh, Sometime in the winter of like
1: two thousand eight, two
3: thousand
0: nine. That sounds right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah. Yeah. On, how did that diagnosis? What impact did it have on you? Like right after you had that diagnosis.
1: Well, I think the first thing was like, like, how do I, how do I relate to my, my daughter? You know, because. In some ways, our expressions of it are different. And also, like, how how will this affect my ability to to work? And then about four months after my diagnosis, maybe three, I took what uh, later on, the therapist who initially diagnosed me, later on, the therapist described this as one of the worst possible jobs for me, (laughs) just substitute teaching in the Syracuse City School District because there's not a lot of regularity. There's not a lot of predictability. uh, There's the intimidation factor, but I did it for three, four years. And now after 13 years, it has led to my going into my second school year, working for a lovely school and uh, really, I think being able to connect very well to all the students, including those with obvious or not so obvious disabilities. But yeah, it. I think my first thought was, how does this affect me as a father, now that I'm a member of the club instead of just uh, outside trying to help and understand what the club is
2: and we actually are having an article on that later on written by sam basically about how your identity as an autistic mother really affects your view of your kids identities and vice versa the reciprocality of it all so
1: oh yeah well that would be That'd be pretty amazing. I haven't uh, read too many accounts of mothers on the spectrum, and there's one one book I read part of where this woman who was already a prominent uh, prominent professional in the world of uh, disabilities and education—I don't know exactly what it is—but and with three girls on the spectrum then was diagnosed herself. So
2: very similar to Sam's experience. It would have been well listeners, look out for that article.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so Jeremy, I want to get I want to get your input here on what your experience has been like as a father and how disability, specifically autism, has influenced
3: you as a father. Well, I guess in one respect, I I I mean, some parents have the experience of of having several children and then having a child who has autism or some other developmental disability, but we never had that experience until afterward. (laughs) We have our first two have uh, autism diagnoses, and the first one did at age what two, three, three? I guess. Um, Oh. But we were kind of aware of it at two. So it was kind right? of, it was kind of
2: autism was the initial thing and shaped the way you parent, rather than autism altering the way in which you parented your other kids.
3: Right. In fact, we had to have people tell us the way that you interact with your first two shouldn't be the same way you interact the way that with the you your would... third. You're doing yeah. things that you you do with the other ones that you shouldn't be doing with her. And, and well she <laughs> seems to be she seems to have despite that <laughs> amazing woman that she is today
1: or so amazing women.
3: The, 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 the so I mean it kind of I didn't really know anything different really I mean I mean it was a bit of a surprise when people first suggested um, the idea to us with our with our first one because he was doing all of the things that I mean I looked at the actual diagnostic criteria and i was taking that language in a way that was narrower than it was apparently intended and saying well he's he's talking he's interacting he's he answers questions he reads books but 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 i just wasn't seeing the other things he wasn't playing with other children Mm -hmm. cooperatively and he wasn't asking us questions he wasn't asking for things yep he would just go to the refrigerator yeah. and try to get something out of it when he wanted it. He wouldn't ask us for it. Mm. And he wasn't using language communicatively. He was using it to read books out loud to us and that sort of mm-hmm. thing. And I, we didn't yeah. have any, we didn't have any sense of the, what the milestones were. I'd look in what to expect the first year, or whatever <laughs> the, the sequel to what to expect when you're expecting. Um, and, and see, so we'll look at when the milestone. are Well, he's doing that. Except, it wasn't precise enough in its description no. for me to see oh. he wasn't doing it the way most kids do at that age. Yeah. So well. it was it was a bit of a surprise to me when someone first suggested that that uh. maybe this is what's going on here. And and uh, and a uh. lot of the people we talked to when we said mm. um, we got this diagnosis were surprised at it too, because they were thinking something more like his brother. That rather than sense. him. Oh yes. That's, and and his brother wasn't talking at all at age two. At all, he didn't say oh, words yeah. at all. He did not use words in any way. Uh-huh. Uh, every once in a while, we might hear a word out of him, but but not very often. And uh, it wasn't until after he went to school and had several intensive therapy-related uh, uh, programs going on that that we would we would see language coming out of him. And to a point where it was very very sporadic, but he'd see a word and then say it. Like, well, he's reading, I guess. Yes. But we but we didn't we couldn't tell that in in his case. So no, that's what I was thinking autism was like.
1: Yeah. Oh, that's so yeah.
3: but but even so, we had the son that we had, and we were parenting him according to what he was like. Uh-huh. And that was all we knew. <laughs> so when his brother came along and had at least in some respects greater severity to the communication issues and to the sensory issues and to the um, impulsivity and things like that, where he needed to be watched 24 seven and much greater attention to detail just to keep him and everyone else around him safe and that kind of thing that required an adjustment. And I mean, that required an adjust, an adjustment and vigilance, but also an adjustment and trying to figure out how to get him to say what he needs and how to figure Mm -hmm. out how to find a voice and things like that yes that was a huge huge change and um we hadn't been prepared for that at all there's no no one no one we knew (laughs) had advice and thoughts on that we had to figure that all out on our own and with with some help from his teachers at school yeah so um, I, we had to kind of rethink how to parent him because he had very different needs than we were used to with our first son. Um, but there, there, there were things that many, many, many parenting guides and advice ogles and, and so on will tell you never do uh, that we just had to resign ourselves to doing because we couldn't function otherwise like putting them in front of the TV for several hours and things like that. Well, it just, it just everyone was saying, everyone at that time was saying, and they're still saying it now, reduce screen time. Don't, don't, uh, don't just park your kids in front of the TV and then go do your stuff. But we wouldn't have been able to function if we didn't do that. Yeah. Uh-huh.
0: And it's not like they sure. actually sat still in front of the TV anyway.
3: That's true, sure. they were doing other things while they were had it on. Yeah, but I'm having that maybe- soundtrack in the background, Yes. With, yeah. I mean everything they watched was musical. everything was musical. And oh, yeah. they both have a very strong interest in music. Um, yeah. Alex, Alex taught Ethan piano for several years, and yes. had, I mean, has, he has a wonderful curriculum that he's been designing <laughs> over time that separates out the, the, um, the different steps that, that yes. often get combined together in most piano teaching. Mm-hmm. and and that worked really really well with him. We couldn't get his brother to do much in terms of actually trying to play music. Every once in a while he'll go to the piano and just mess around on it, but he doesn't do a whole lot of that. But well, he you has know- to listen to music.
2: And that really and that really plays um, that really depends and relies on the basic psychological and educational principle of scaffolding, which is basically mm-hmm. give steps to reach an ultimate goal. Uh, That's oversimplified. but And that can be really helpful in autistic people who sometimes struggle with executive function.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I I totally agree with that. (laughs) Okay, so I will agree. I would say as far as uh, second son, uh, he might not have had the necessary certain types of self-control or maybe even the interest to learn a musical instrument now, but I've, I've worked with the typical people who started at age like 50 or something. So maybe for him, right. maybe he won't be 50, it'll be 30 or who knows, but uh, it can always happen. Uh, everything, as, as far as uh, not speaking in mean, my son, uh, is not on the autism spectrum, but has some issues. He wasn't. He, he did speak and everything, but specifically, I remember uh, getting ready to bring him in for his two-year checkup, and they said he's supposed to have ten words. And he barely. I tried to think, well, what, what words does he say? And it was, it was barely ten. And then right after that, he just exploded. So even mm-hmm. uh, even people who weren't uh, at that point. He wasn't diagnosed with anything. Uh, might not
2: follow
0: the script. Mm. Yeah. That's a, that's those a books... great way to put it, not following the script. Yeah, because
3: and those books
0: are written looking, with... Yeah, Hang on. looking back now, um, we understand that, you know, a two and a half year old, mm. it's not typical for them to be reciting the text of several different children's books. That's not typical. We thought, oh my gosh, baby's a little nerd genius just like us. Well, yes, he was a little nerd genius just like us. Um, It's, it just turned out that we weren't typical either. And His his brother who (laughs) didn't say words, but vocalized musically, he made lots of noise and it was very, there was a musicality to it. By then, we figured out that that wasn't typical either. <laughs> and it really wasn't typical for a kid to like sit down or to sit down, study someone doing something, and then go do it perfectly. Uh, like things like walking and climbing the stairs and climbing
3: yeah. bookshelves. Oh, it, yeah. Everything he did was instant. <laughs> he, he just stood up and walked <laughs> and ran. <laughs> yeah.
1: Yeah. Well.
3: I wouldn't went say from calling to running like overnight. Yeah. <laughs> Both of them pulled themselves out of their crib at like four and a half months. Oh, Something <laughs> really, really early. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's one of the I'm things laughing. I, think, I, think,
2: I do think. One, first of all, these books that you're talking about are written with the dominant neurotypical perspective in mind. They're written with neurotypical kids in mind. And when our neurology, yes, they are. And when our neurology differs from that, we are not necessarily going to be reflected in those books because we're a minority. And I think that's something that's incredibly important for parents to realize, especially new parents of newly diagnosed kids or even kids who haven't been diagnosed because again, girls get diagnosed much later as Sam can attest to. Yeah. But I also think that when we're talking about doing one thing very, very quickly, but doing another thing, what some may say lagging behind We can't expect, even in neurotypical people, they're a bit closer, but we can't expect all the developmental domains to develop at the same rate. This is especially pronounced in people with atypical neurologies, atypical neural wiring, Mm -hmm. because there are different areas of the brain that control different domains. And if there's something abnormal in one area but not in the other, or there are two abnormal things, one can cause one developmental domain to be incredibly ahead and another to be slightly behind. And we see this with neurotypical people, just not to the same degree. I mean, we see people who are really, really good at one thing and in one particular domain and aren't in another. And I would say from what I've seen in research, that's the same thing. It just is not to a level that would be clinically relevant. So it's not recognized, but it is especially pronounced in neuroatypical and neurodivergent children. So we've we've covered a lot
0: of ground with that, that early developmental stage, you know, birth or toddlerhood. So, so to speak, in a little bit of early childhood. Now that that are now that the kiddos are are getting older, and some of them are adults already. How do you see your your role as a father changing as the the children get older? Jeremy, I'll start I think. With you. Oh, go ahead, Alex.
1: I think uh, some of it is emotional support and uh, guidance and life decisions. I mean, my uh, my own life decisions have been here and there, and I can look back and see my autism has informed some of the both the good and the bad decisions. But I, either way, I need to be there. Be supportive, uh, learn to understand, to see things from another person's perspective, which I guess when I've thought about just uh, how educators, uh, you know, a a model for how educators should be around people on the spectrum and other disabilities, uh, that it can be kind of subsumed into, just try to see it from, Another person's perspective, and I, as a person with autism, I don't see it the same way as Liza. In a lot of ways, it's hugely different. So, but just to, but at the same time, to use the life experience that I have to uh, to help. And a lot of times, it's sort of giving advice like, "Don't do this." I did this impulsively and I don't know whether that was a function of my being on the spectrum or just being human or being stupid, but uh, either way, don't do this.
2: I think it's also important to note that my brother is also an adult now. He is yeah. 20. Yes, he uh, He's 20. My
1: God. Yeah, it, I, it is uh, a little bit a here. <laughs> Yep.
4: Uh, obviously, with with uh, myself,
3: uh,
4: I'm speaking uh, from my dad's perspective. Not that I understood everything in his how he he thought, but he had disabilities of his own from hearing loss, and and then he had uh, growing up through uh, some memory issues of. Parkinson's and dementia, but overall he was a good good dad, and he and that kind of informed a little bit of how he parented, but on a little more of a, a distant level because it's th-
2: tough.
4: But he did a good job. I mean, I turned out well.
2: <laughs> yes, but, I think that some of this. Scott you were talking about how you were seeing it from your dad's perspective I I'll say this now I'll <clears throat> I'll say this now I'm not planning on having kids so I've had to really rework what I see motherhood as which is prized in society especially in Jewish society And Scott, I think to a certain degree, the same can apply to you. The people you work with, you are serving a father role in their lives or that sort of thing. So I think that there is some relevance there to what you have experienced.
4: Yes, because I, I can understand and even I was told by John Petitio, one of of the counselors I know and he said, I I need to remove the the bricks, but it's sometimes tough when you're in a situation with family or when you have fears to then bring up subjects or to have a conversation. Yes. And it's part of that human factor And and I know I should have removed those bricks or those fears, but I at times just had a hard time and then when you're Dealing with disability. We obviously had fun on the boat and I talked about my dad a lot. So then so it's it's one of these kind of dichotomies where but it's still part of the reality. And
0: Jeremy, I want to ask you next. How ha- how have you seen your role as a father change as the children have gotten
3: older? Well, part of what has happened is the other children have gotten older and have been um, more likely or in some cases more capable of doing things that the first two never had any interest in or desire in or sometimes capability of doing. So it's it's sort of broadened things and um, revealed some bad habits (laughs) that we might have formed from not having to be parenting in the ways that a lot of people do. But um, I think also, I mean, as as our oldest, two have gotten older. I mean, they're both over 18 now. They both voted in the last election. We have to figure out how to handle that, uh, particularly with the one who has a much harder time communicating and and demonstrating what he knows. Mm. But he had clear views on who he wanted to vote for. So we figured, let him vote. I mean, we still have to worry about safety with him. And more so in some ways, because he's bigger and capable of doing more harm. And I mean, we take him out in public, we have to be watching him like a hawk to make sure he's not getting too close to people. It's a lot, it's been a lot easier with social distancing because, Mm. because no one expects that it's a problem when um, you're trying to be distant from them and everyone expects it's a good thing. Whereas beforehand, uh, people would walk right next to us and they're doing a lot less of that that's actually been a little mm. bit easier.
2: Kind of interested to see how you answer this question for your middle child
3: Is she is what 16 17ish? She's 16, yeah. Yeah. So, so I mean, we're in that age Yeah. I mean, we're starting to see with with our oldest, he's doing things in life that none of our other children have done because he's older. And there's things that we just never got around to doing with him. Like Teaching him to drive and get a, like, get a license and things like that—that um, that now his sister wants to do, and she has social pressure to want to do it in a way that he didn't. So um, there's there's that sort of thing. Um, he he's wanting to get out and do more things now than he used to. Um, yesterday he yesterday or the day before I guess it was two days ago he decided he wanted to to invade his sister's. Uh, movie attendance with with her friends, not 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 our third, but our fourth, uh, had had arranged to meet her friends at a movie theater, and he decided he wanted to go with her. And she said, "Well, we need more chaperones," <laughs> so he went. And and he that wasn't anyone's initiative but his own. He was the one who decided he wanted to go on that. But th- th- that's a relatively new thing for him to do that sort of thing. We usually have to have to even to do things he really likes to do. We've had to to really try to motivate him. So and that
2: communicating, communicating with his siblings on that level too I think is is something that from what I know of him and from what I've seen seems to be
3: particularly important that he's able to work this thing out. So when when, when the other thing we're seeing with him now I mean he's done with his two-year uh, community college degree. He doesn't have anything to do right now <laughs> so he's spending his entire days gaming. But mm. it's not isolative the mm. way it was no. years ago with him. He would spend all day playing games by himself. He's mm. in Discord all the time. And he's chatting with people. Oh. With voice, voice chat. And okay. text chat. And so on. <laughs> so that's, that's, um, that's a new thing for, for, for me to be helping him with. Or He's getting guidance from people online to solve computer problems and things like that. And, and, wow. and so he's venturing into new territory and he's probably going to be working um, with the, the, the nonprofit this summer doing video editing. Oh, so he'll great. be leaving the house and going with, with my wife to the office and, and being part of that uh, for pay. So this is a new thing uh, at the same time that his oh, younger yeah. sister is getting her first job. <laughs> so she's going to, she's going to work at, at the, the local um park uh pool as a pool attendant oh and boy she, she wasn't able to get the lifeguard training in i mean she's a better swimmer than some of those lifeguards i'm sure but <laughs> but but she she yeah i mean she was on the swim team and I will the, never y, the ymca said she was beyond what they could teach her <laughs> i will so, never cease to be i will never cease to be amazed by S. Mm-hmm. but she wants to do she wants to she wants to have a job and she's sort of do, hitting this milestone the same time her brother is so we, yes. we've got this delay, but it's coming, right? Mm. With things like that. So we're learning with both of them at the same time, how to parent someone who wants to have a job. And that's, mm. we're gonna be going through that this summer.
0: Jeremy, you pulled out a, 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 a that's a great observation that when you're, you're caring for raising children who have, mm. excuse me, developmental disabilities, they, they're gonna hit the, those, those developmental markers at their own pace, at their own speed. Yes. And so we've got two kids who are like four years apart who are hitting some of the same developmental milestones at the same time. Gosh, how do we how do we handle that? It's like that that transition to parenting adults is happening late for us. As fathers, how do you, how does that, how do, how do you handle that transition of you know, transitioning from parenting a child, a, a minor child to parenting an adult child.
2: I'm sure it's weird to be, for, for my father to be in this position where I am, you know, here at school, here getting my degree, and my younger brother is working recently 30 in the upper 30 hours a week.
1: Yeah.
2: It's, I- it's as though things are reversed. How how is that for you, Dad?
1: It is different. Um, you know, he went out of college, attempted to, he, he went out of high school, attempted to start the community college, and, and I guess his heart just wasn't in it. And there were a few things going on. But he, he had also, it, it was a hard road for him. He had wanted to get a job from when he first when he first came here to Massachusetts, he was in tenth grade, and he did a lot of applications. And just nobody was hiring. It, it, there aren't as many places around here to work as. Syracuse. Especially,
2: especially if you don't drive.
1: Yeah, that mm-hmm. was Nowhere. an issue. That that was an issue. I mean, I drove him once, half, half an hour to Sam's Club to work, but. To, The work was too much. He had to push, you know, those 30 shopping carts or whatever. And it was just too much physically for him. But he finally did get a job and it's working out well. So yes, I have my younger child is out there employed, close to full time in the workforce. My older child is going to some little school in central New York. the a <laughs> mediocre education, no, she is uh, a full-time student at Syracuse University, and I'm really proud. In a lot of ways, uh, we are more like colleagues because, of, well, I started, I've done two courses <laughs> over two semesters at a local state university in also a degree program for special ed. Mine happens to be a master's because I already have useless degrees um but uh we, oh yeah who
2: wants who wants anything in music
1: well I'm yeah but you uh if, if it's your passion and what you love i would tell anybody go for it but yeah. now, now i've moved into this and so we compare notes and we read each other's papers Paper, and we yeah. complain about each other so uh, professors <laughs> and um uh, all that kind of stuff and, and that is wonderful but at the same time I do try to be I do try to still be parent and sometimes what I have to say or whatever as a parent is sort of like uh just more annoying than anything but uh
2: disclaimer I think a couple I, of my professors might be listening to this disclaimer we are not talking about you
1: <laughs> okay well <laughs> Overall, I think Liza's experience this year has been good. It would have been better and more more enriching if we didn't have all the restrictions of of COVID. And hopefully, but uh, so as a father, I still try to, you know, there are different issues that have to be uh, addressed, and that's okay. And I, I am just so pleased to see her be able to get around and uh, do all kinds of great things and uh, getting around in part uh, due to a wonderful couple who often give for rides.
0: <laughs>
1: ha, ha, ha. Yes, uh, Dr. and Mrs. Pierce have been really generous on that front and many others. Um, and uh, just to just be supportive and understand uh, I wasn't gonna say this but can i say one bible verse i don't know how non-sectarian we're trying to be here oh it 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 just kind
0: of
1: pops out okay well this is a well-known verse it's it's train. it's translated train up a child in the way he should go or raise up a child in the way he should go but this was pointed out many years ago and i confirmed it in the hebrew it really is much better translated train train up a child in his way so it's Mm -hmm. like yes you want it to be a good way good choices but also to train them up in a way that suits them that is suits their neurological makeup their you know emotional and interests and all that kind of stuff
2: exactly i think that's especially important when we're talking about disabled kids especially neurodevelopmentally disabled kids yeah. where our own way can be very different mm-hmm. than the way in which neurotypical kids would best be raised. I mean, we were talking about that, Dr. Pierce, with you reading the book with, with E, your oldest child. Yeah, <clears throat>
0: yeah that yeah, is that is a, a great point. And I think your your, your oh. wife made the same point, Alex, when
2: she did. When was she did.
0: A oh, wow. <laughs> she did.
2: But to be fair, the... this was a to be fair, this was a verse I focused on. In my bat mitzvah so they yeah sure. and they both helped me work that verse in so it's
1: eh. i mean if his <laughs> yeah. way is vandalism and crime i think you need to maybe alter that a little bit
0: but. yeah redirect that energy go
1: into
0: demolition
4: can i raise a, a question or a thought for yeah
0: uh, yeah.
4: But, uh since uh, I don't have that official fatherhood training, but still with regards to processing information, because when we have developmental disabilities, there's the way we perceive things, the way we process that information, how we've sort of hinted at it, but is there a way that that affects it? Because a lot of times relationships deal with the emotional and intellectual interplay and feelings
2: i think that your i think your answer to that is going to be i mean dr Pierce i'm sure yours is going to be but i think dad yours is going to be particularly interesting to that because you come at it from the side of me processing differently and you processing differently
1: well me processing differently from my wife which is uh <laughs> I mean she's pointing out we have very little in common except we were drawn together by a by a tight but a narrow um, group of common interests. Uh, and then, <laughs> yeah. yeah, me and Eliza, we, we definitely do a lot of things differently. I, I remember even uh, when we were homeschooling and I was helping Liza. We, we learned a little bit of piano, but Liza gravitated towards other musical things from voice. To the flute but working with her and i remember just very talented but does things a little differently for me and but i i tried to that's what i try to do with every student but yeah definitely it's uh it's been interesting to see a different way and then liza has some some interesting abilities that I'm like I have nothing to do with that dancing, you know.
2: <laughs> when um, I can physical disability makes it a little heavy, but yeah,
1: dancing and American Sign Language. I have tried I, <laughs> a few years ago. I became convinced it'd be really good to learn that for for my work and stuff. I am an absolute dunce at sign language. I can cannot get my fingers to get into those positions or conceptualize, you know, the way the signs portray the concepts. So I try to to ask questions and watch her and uh, also with the dance and stuff. And so, okay, that's not me. My mother said she had experience one day. My mother was an artist, visual artist, and I think a pretty good one. One day when I was like in early teens or something and she she looked at me, I was playing the piano and she had this realization this is a totally separate person. This is not an extension of me. And um, Mm -hmm. I try to be aware of that with both my kids. My son is uh, really good with uh, hands-on stuff, fixing things, building things. He built
2: his own computer.
1: That as well as, well, he had three they let him take uh wood shop for three semesters be, uh, because it's not the same stuff every it got to where you come up with an idea of a project you want to do, you draw up a plan. Uh, if the school has the, the lumber uh, on hand, fine, otherwise they will order it for you. Yep, made his own
2: there. made his own desk. And I think the a shop would be someone. I think the shop teacher was someone who was very supportive in that time. And I think that is another reason that this doesn't, these the things we're talking about today, don't just apply to parents. I mean, no. I'm not going, I'm never going to be a mother as far as I plan to, but the things that I learn from mothers, I can still apply yeah. to the students that I am essentially. They're my kids, whether or not, whether or not I, I'm, I'm their mother. My, my students. Really Absolutely.
1: Like well, we know a person. We know further over in Massachusetts is not a mother, and is not going to be one. But it's one of the most supportive person. Wasn't early supportive person to Eliza, and she is in full time in, in special ed, and has been for a long time.
0: Um, Jeremy, I want to I wanna get your, your perceptions of navigating that transition from parenting minor children to parenting adult children. What's that? What, what are you observing about yourself? And what are you observing about what that transition is like for you?
3: Well, I think a lot of it is still in just small ways because of who it is that we have entering adulthood it's gonna be very different with number three, who is already doing things the other two are not doing in, in large measure. So I don't know what it's gonna be like when she turns 18. Where, whereas the other two are still, there's a lot more um, dependence that they have on us. Um, and um, I mean, one of them can't go out in the community without someone. So that's especially dependent. And that's gonna be true with him, probably. For the rest of his life, but if not, certainly for a long time to come. Yeah. And uh, his brothers, as we've trusted to walk to go pick up his siblings at school for probably 10 years. I don't know, maybe not 10 years, but maybe when he was in ninth grade or eighth grade, yeah. we were trusting him to go pick them up from elementary school, that kind of thing. Okay, um, six years. Uh, probably ninth grade because he was taking the bus home from school in eighth grade and they weren't at school yet. <laughs> but not yeah. both of them, but, I mean, he, but when he was in ninth grade, he'd come home before they would. And then on a certain day, we might say, can you go pick your, your siblings up at school? And he would. And, and he'll, I mean, there are times when we've left him in charge at home. It was a bit of a challenge trying to figure out how much freedom do we give him? How much trust can we have in him? Mm-hmm. And that kind of thing. And that's a gradual thing that comes with every kid.
0: And it's that we have left. I want to get to, What you would say to, what advice you would give to fathers who are perhaps just starting their journey, either as a father with a disability or as a father of children with disabilities, what advice would you give to them?
4: One advice I would like to give is that there's that common interest. When I think back to my times of my dad, we loved to play gym, and my mom and suggested that we, uh, when I was in the hospital, we played lots of gin there. Then we played in Fairfield. We played in Maine and Arizona. And then when when my uh, dad, when we did our last games, when he was in assisted living in Maine, we then had the new rule that after one one hand, that was the the game was won then. We didn't worry about didn't track and all. We just, okay, that game was won. And also the times on the boat and building the fire and just running around and errands in Maine or Fairfield or whatever. It was just one of those rewarding times or just yeah. frisbee or badminton. We weren't really great, but obviously I was picked up by my dad whenever I was part of practice for my basketball as manager. So, so we had those times together and also as a family too so it's just and when the dynamic when mom and dad interact and my brother interact that it's it makes it a whole a lot of times it's that communication whether it's you as a son or as a, a dad or even an advocate for those with disability it's how do you communicate exactly in the right way we all have in our minds what we want to say but it's an imperfect communication but still, being present—that's the key. And even though maybe not a lot of word, not a lot of words always were said. We were present, and I looked at very much like my dad. So it's just one of those things you just take, take gradually.
0: That's great advice, Scott. To to find is those awesome. those common interests, common ground. Alex, how about you? What advice would you give to fathers who are fathering? Children with disabilities, or who they themselves have a disability, and and they have figuring out how to be the disabled father.
1: Yeah. Well, I would say one thing uh, as far as uh, any sort of services that a child might need that you can't provide, uh, don't give up. Uh, be aggressive, but don't make enemies. I think we were less less aggressive than we could might have been, Eliza. I mean, here she is, and she's, she walks, she talks, yeah. all that stuff.
3: <laughs> I'm
1: doing okay. But yeah, a little bit more aggressive. But the other side of it is fine. Yes, common interests, I agree. I think it was Scott used to that, and find uh, what your child likes, and in many cases, it, lies to me. it was things that I liked as well, but. When it turned out to not be, also with a girl, I mean, Eliza was not a, a possible to be uh, a girl on the autism spectrum and to like girl type stuff. Uh, she had these rubber little dolls with rubber clothing called Polly Pockets. I remember playing with her with that stuff and I kind of liked it. And then when she got her to dance, well, I was taking her to dance and she was five and a half, six, around the time she had that diagnosis. And it was tough, but I didn't. I, I remember having to put her hair up for the, for the dance I buttons. I was, it was a struggle and it was like spaghetti, but it, it was okay. And, you know, I, just do it and get out of your comfort zone. and And maybe you'll find Eliza has instilled in me a much greater love for dance. And I've always loved the musical theater, but I usually focus on the music. And now I'm focusing a whole lot more on the dance and enjoying the whole thing a lot more. Oh, Jeremy,
0: how about you? What advice would you give?
3: Well, in some ways, my situation is unusual because I do not have a the sort of career that many fathers have, where they go to work in the morning and then come home for at dinner time and um, they're only around seeing their kids in the evening and on the weekends, there are many fathers who have that sort of situation. I mean, I think Alex was not quite like that either. (laughs) But, 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 but but the, the, um, and I think that's probably why a lot of fathers are less involved in advocating for their children who have disabilities or in being part of trying to figure out how to how to respond to that or or deal with that in in various ways. I was around more with my children because of the kind of work that I do. I would teach a class and then I'd come home (laughs) and then I'd go teach another class and come home and that kind of thing Uh, where the work I was doing was at home. Uh, Although I think on the other end of it, I have probably far more work that I have to do at home than most fathers. And so Mm -hmm. I basically had to learn as I went how to prioritize. And I was never any good at making that balance happen. This is something that many women have to learn how to do and very few men do the same way. But, and, and, and in retrospect, knowing that some of the ways my wife parented differently than many women do now, now we have a diagnosis that explains some of that. It, it led to me doing a lot of things that most fathers don't do that wives or, or partners do. So, I mean, in some ways we've, there's been some atypicalities in our relationship. And I've sort of been forced into things that a lot of men just haven't thought of as their sphere. And I mean, there's been times when I felt like a full-time dad, even though I had a full-time set of work. That changes how you see yourself as a father. But I think my advice to those who are not in that situation, who are not forced into that like I was, is to 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 recognize that when you are around, you, you're gonna feel like that's your time to relax because you've been at work all day and that kind of thing. But you have this other job that you're not yeah. being paid for. In many of your cases, it's something that someone else has been doing all day and they're, they're exhausted from it, right? So, and, and that's gonna be much more heightened when you've got children who have disabilities. You have to, you have to find the, the, the headspace somehow to, to put yourself into that and not, not, not check out. My tendency to check out is because I got so much work to do at home. Many men, it's very different than that. Many fathers, it's, it's because they've, they're exhausted from their day at work. And now they're home finally, and they just want to relax. But to take, take the time to, to learn, to research, to, to understand what your kids are like and why they're like that. Take the time to understand the condition and how, how effective ways of, of dealing with it uh, work and that sort of thing. That some of the typical ways of engaging in discipline or engaging in teaching your children or engaging in understanding your children aren't necessarily going to work <laughs> and you're going to have to learn new ways to deal with that. And that takes time. It takes energy. It takes resources. Yeah. And not everyone has those to the same degree, but it you have to do what you can. And I certainly didn't always have the time. I definitely didn't always have the energy and we certainly didn't always have the resources, but we've done what we could and we've sought help when we could as well. When, when, when we had people near us that we could get help from, We've tried to find ways that worked with our situation, and it didn't always work that well. We had several years when I felt like we were barely parenting because we were just both doing so much stuff. But I think the thing that that that's more crucial is spending time with your children, learning yes. what they are like, learning what does have an effect on them, entering their world, as 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 Liza and Alex were talking about earlier. What, what, yeah, I I I was always the one who would go with my son when he went to go swim with the black. And sometimes they had provided him with support and sometimes I had to do it myself. I'd get in the pool with him and and swim with him. And and, and when he wanted to go out for a ride on his scooter, I'd go with him. And when he wanted to, to um, now, even now when he wants to go for a ride to go get something at the store or go for a walk, he looks to me, he doesn't look to anyone else. So he, we've got this attachment, even though he doesn't talk to me, he doesn't say things like that what's going on internally, but he's, formed an attachment to me and, and, and he doesn't want to do that stuff with other people. Yes. <laughs> so it's 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 uh there's a real connection that comes when you do things with people, yes. even if it doesn't have the kind of interaction that you might have expected you would have with your children.
1: Yeah. Yes.
4: That that's true because you you're not always because uh about 80% of life is nonverbal so those mm-hmm or 75, and those interactions that you're having with your children, that's key. They're not always gonna remember what you said, even though it was probably very and very well thought, how academic and perfectly logical. It's just the- uh,
3: They'll they'll remember your presence. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And And that's your presence also. Yeah. They'll remember that you were there with them when you did that. Exactly.
2: Yeah. yeah
0: that is that is some great advice that you all have given to fathers and I've, we are out of time and i want to thank you hey. all for being here thank you alex for, for taking time to be our special guest today
1: thank you sam and, about fatherhood. and thank you for all that uh, you and the two organizations do. good to get to know you a little better alex that's great you too yeah
0: so, folks, you have been listening to Life Fantastic, the podcast where people with disabilities talk about all things disability and straight independent radio. We have a new website, straight with an eight, indie Go ahead and check that out. Life Fantastic is sponsored by noAdiversityconsulting.org and sanctia.org. Check us out on the web to find out about all the great things we do with people with disabilities. I am your host, the idea of Dynamo Samantha Pierce, and we have come to the end of our conversation about fatherhood and disability, and look forward to seeing you next time.